Today's Bible reading is from John chapter 21, verse 1 to 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It appeared this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter said, heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore. About a hundred yards, about a hundred <laughs> When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals, there with fish on it and said and some bread jesus said to them bring some of your f- the fish you have just caught so simon peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore it was full of large fish 153 but even so many the net was not torn jesus said to to them come and have breakfast none of the disciples d- dared ask him who are you they knew it was the lord jesus came took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Thanks, Jonah. That was great. Hasn't it been great hearing the young people um, read for us the last few weeks? I hope we can have some more of that. Maybe some of them will be interested in being put on a roster. I'll have a chat to them another day about that. Um, get myself some space here. All right. I really enjoy this passage. Uh, and even as, as Jonah was reading it, I was hearing things going, oh, I should have mentioned that in the sermon. Um, so uh, there's so many, so many different things that we can read from this passage. And um, John 21 is one of my many... Uh, favorite chapters in the Bible, um, the restoration of Peter, which I'm not going to talk about today, that happens at the end of the chapter, is, is just beautiful. Um, but today I want to talk about the, the first part of this chapter. Um, and young people, I think there's only one of you, there is a worksheet and there is a prize if you finish the worksheet and get the answers right. So have a listen to that um, and, and see what you, see whether you can get the prize. Ooh. There we go. Um, okay, so I think it will help us to set the scene if I can get you all to use your imaginations for a minute. Um, so I'm going to get you to close your eyes. Don't worry, it's not weird if everyone's doing it. Um, close your eyes, and I want you to think back to a time when you were really struggling, a time when you felt just emotionally exhausted and physically exhausted, uh, where you were maybe stressed, confused, um, to think about how you were feeling in that time, 
maybe a time when you felt like you were really at the end of your tether. And I want you to think about what it was you needed at that time. Maybe you didn't know what you needed. Uh, maybe now you know what you needed then. All right, and I want you to, you can open your eyes now. I want you to hold on to that feeling as we, as we talk about what's going on in this text because um, I, think it, I think it might help you um, to identify a bit with what the disciples uh, were doing. Um, so I'm going to start with a bit of background because it's always good to know um, what happens around the passage that we're talking about. It's always good to know what happened before or what happens after. In this case, it's the end of the book of John, really, so we're not talking about what happens after, but we do need to know what happens before. Does anyone know what happens in John 20 without cheating and flipping the page over in their Bible? I'll give you a clue. We talked about it last Sunday. The resurrection. Yes, I hear a few people whispering. You're allowed to call out if I ask a question. Um, Yes, the resurrection. Um, So in John 20, Jesus is resurrected. The disciples, or some of them, and the women go and see the empty tomb. Jesus appears to some of his disciples. And then about a week later, he appears um, to Thomas um, with some of the other disciples. Um, So that's a little bit of context that's really helpful because we know that the disciples have just come out of this pretty crazy kind of uh, confusing and stressful event. Um, But that little detail a week later, and this is happening after what happened a week later. So I would guess, and it's just a guess, there's no timeline in this passage, that this is maybe a couple of weeks after the resurrection. Long enough that the disciples have had a chance to kind of take a breath Um, but a short enough time that they're probably still feeling all of the confusion and and everything from the arrest and the torture and the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, which is kind of a lot for anyone to go through. Um, And so I don't know about you, but when I see the start of this passage, I get the feeling that Peter and the other disciples, they didn't really know what they were supposed to do now. Uh, We know from John chapter 20 that the disciples were together. um, And it seems like at at this point, maybe not all of them together, but there is a group of them there, isn't there? There's a few of them that go fishing. Um, And they'd all given up their lives to to travel and learn from Jesus. And and they'd spent all of the past few years with him, learning from him, watching him do these incredible miracles. And all of a sudden, they're not doing that anymore. And at this point, they haven't, really figured out what's next. And so they're probably all just hanging out, um, processing, chatting. When you go through a strange and life-changing event like that, you probably want to be with the other people who know what that feels like, who've been through that with you. Um, And and that seems to be what's going on here. Um, But at some stage, it seems like Peter starts to feel a little bit restless. And I'm not surprised that it's Peter. Uh, because Peter always seems to be the one, doesn't he? He is the guy who jumps out of the boat to walk on water. He's always the guy who's got some comment to make. He just can't help himself. And it's really, it's what we love about Peter, isn't it? I think a lot of us can relate to Peter sometimes. I certainly can. Uh, So we know that he was a man of action. He was fairly impulsive, and all this sitting around doesn't seem to have been great for him, and he decides, I've had enough of this. He decides to go and do the only other thing that he knows how to do. He's going to go fishing. Because before he met Jesus, 
He was a fisherman. That's all he did. All day, every, well, all night, every night, really, because they used to fish at night time. He would fish. He would catch fish. He would sell fish. He would catch more fish. He would sell more fish. That's all he did. And so when this amazing time with Jesus has come to an end and he doesn't know what to do anymore, he decides he's going to go and fish. And I guess no one else had any better ideas of what to do because whoever was there at the time, the group of them, they all decide to go. Um, and so feels a little bit anticlimactic, really. We've just been out with Jesus and we've seen all of these amazing things and we've learned all of these amazing things and now to just go back to our ordinary lives as if nothing has changed feels like a retreat. But at the same time, what else could they do? They hadn't really been given any kind of instructions or or guidelines they didn't know how long Jesus was going to be sticking around or where he was at the moment or what he was doing. Okay, so they go fishing and they fish all night. All night, out on a boat, trying to catch fish and they catch nothing. Like not even the tiniest little fish. Nothing. I want you to think back how, I, how you were feeling when, when I asked you to imagine a time when you were feeling really stressed, I reckon that's how the disciples were feeling now. Um, I think the the no catching any fish all night thing was just the last thing on top of the pile of things that they were feeling. And just as they're about to give up on this failed fishing trip, Jesus appears. Now, they don't know it's him, but we know it was him. Um, And he suggests they do something different. And I've got to be honest with you, if I'm a professional fisherman and I've been out there on my boat all night, I know that I've tried everything. I know that there are no fish to be caught. And some guy on the beach yells out, just throw your net on the other side. I don't know if I would have been as nice as the disciples were. I probably would have had a smart comment, but thankfully, and I do wonder if Peter kind of muttered something under his breath, actually. But thankfully, they listened and they throw their net out on the other side and immediately it's full of fish, 153 fish. It's a lot of fish, and they're big fish, uh, and they can't pull the net in. Um, these are strong guys, and there's a few of them there, and they, they physically can't pull the net in. Those fish must have been huge. Um, and they realize, of course, immediately, the only person who could have done that was Jesus. And so I think that's the first lesson in this passage, is that Jesus makes himself known when we are vulnerable. Because the disciples, they were vulnerable, weren't they? They'd been out on this boat all night, they were tired, they were hungry, they were probably physically exhausted. But they'd also gone through an incredibly confusing and and traumatic, life-changing event. They had found this person who they very firmly believed to be the promised Messiah. And they had followed him and they'd been lucky enough to be taught by him. And then they'd watched him get arrested and killed, which for them, not part of the plan. For Jesus, we know that was his plan, but these guys, they didn't know that. And so that was traumatic. And then a few days later, suddenly he's alive. I don't know anyone who knows how to process that. And so these guys, they must have been at the end of their ropes. They were vulnerable And Jesus showed up 
He made himself known and he helped them. I wonder how often you've experienced the presence of Jesus in a vulnerable moment. Maybe think back to that time that you were imagining at the beginning. Um, Maybe you sensed the presence of Jesus then. Maybe you didn't sense the presence of Jesus at the time, but looking back, you can see how Jesus was there helping you. I wonder what that was like for you. I know for me, uh, over the past couple of years, uh, it's been pretty stressful. Um, There was this thing that happened called a pandemic. I'm told you guys experienced that as well. Um, That was pretty stressful. Not being able to leave home, not being able to go places. That was tough. Um, And I'm sure like many of you, we also had other things that were happening on top of the pandemic. We were both in pretty stressful work situations. Uh, We were separated from, from Max's family overseas and knowing we couldn't go and see them. Man, that was hard. That was really hard. And, and we've been able to watch in those vulnerable moments how Jesus has just used those times to really reveal himself powerfully to us. And, and we've seen him at work even over the past few months as we've, as we've navigated both finding new jobs, finding a new uh, church, finding a new place to live, all of those things. Um, and as each piece of the puzzle has slowly fallen into place, uh, which has very obviously been, been his hand moving the puzzle pieces, not ours, because we could not have done that good of a job. Um, it's felt like a moment of relief and we felt the presence of Jesus in a much different way uh, than we have in times when we've been less stressed, less vulnerable, happier, um, felt freer. And I, I, I'm sure, I'm, I've seen a few of you nodding, so I'm sure you can relate to that. Um, for the disciples, Jesus provided an abundant catch of fish, a moment of rest and warmth around a fire and a hot breakfast and the precious gift of time with him. In their time of vulnerability, he made himself known and he met their needs. Because Jesus makes himself known to us when we are vulnerable. And that's not to say he doesn't make himself known to us at other times, but when we are vulnerable, when we're struggling, when we're down, he's there. Uh, And oftentimes that's when we can experience his presence in a very different way. So, of course, the disciples have now recognized the fact that it is actually Jesus out there on the beach. And what do they do? They immediately, immediately go to him. They turn the boat around and start paddling back to shore. Peter, classic Peter, cannot wait for that boat. It is too slow. He's just jumping out into the water. He's going to make his own way to Jesus and he's going to get there first. When Jesus makes himself known to the disciples, their immediate reaction is to get closer to him, to be in his presence, to be connected with him. They know that whatever he's got for them, and they don't know what he's got for them, but whatever it is, it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. And sure enough, They arrive at the beach, and not only do they get Jesus to spend the morning with them, on top of that, they also get a fire and a hot breakfast. Amazing. More than they expected, but somehow also exactly what we should expect from Jesus, isn't it? See, the Bible is full of stories about people who are wanting to be close to God, who are drawing near to God and and God meeting their needs. Um, 
It's a work that Jesus continued while he was on earth, but it's a work that God started long before Jesus was born. I'm reminded of Elijah. I'm sure some of you might remember that story uh, when he challenged the prophets of Baal um, and, and poured water all over his altar and then God rained down fire and, and proved that God was real and not Baal. And then the king got angry about that and Elijah had to flee for his life. And what did Elijah say to God? He said, God, I'm done. Let me die. And God said, I don't think so. Have a nap, have a snack, another nap and another snack, and you're going to be good. And it turned out that was exactly what Elijah needed in that moment. Uh, And of course, when Jesus was teaching 5,000 plus people um, out in the wilderness and recognized that after these people have traveled all this way just to come and see him, what they probably really need is lunch. And so what does he do? He feeds them. Now, I realize both of those examples use food. Uh, Food is not the only need that Jesus provides for, but let's be honest, food is important, and food often solves not just our physical hunger problems, but some of our emotional issues as well sometimes. Um, And so, while the disciples didn't know when they were out on the boat what Jesus had prepared for them, they knew that if they were in his presence, uh, he would take care of them. They knew that wherever Jesus was, that was the place to be. Um, and that was the place where their needs were going to be met. And so here's another thing that we learned. Jesus meets our needs when we are connected to him. James 4.8 tells us that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Uh, and in Philippians 4.19, Paul reminds the believers at Philippi that God will meet all of their needs. When we read those verses, um, and when we read all of the stories in the Bible about God uh, meeting people's needs, about how God loves us so much and and wants to be in relationship with us. We can trust that that applies to us as well. The disciples hadn't asked for a hot breakfast, but Jesus saw a need and provided for it. Now, hunger might seem like a mundane thing, but it's it is one of our food is one of our basic needs, and and here Jesus uses the food to meet several needs, doesn't he? Because while they're having breakfast, Jesus takes the opportunity to just spend time with his disciples. And they need that. Uh, And also later in the passage, um, after the the section that Jonah read out for us, uh, we we know that Jesus used that time to, to minister to Peter. Because after Peter had denied Jesus three times on the night before he was crucified, he must have been feeling pretty bad. Must have been feeling pretty guilty, and I bet he was just waiting for Jesus to bring it up. You know that feeling like, oh, I'm going to be in big trouble, and, and he knows that I said that, and he hasn't said anything yet. Peter must have been on the edge of his seat. And Jesus used that time together to give Peter three opportunities to cover those three denials, three opportunities to renew his commitment to Jesus. And that grace and the forgiveness that Peter so desperately needed were given as well. Jesus makes himself known to us when we're vulnerable and when we draw near to him, he meets our needs. The final thing that I want to mention, I think it's really interesting that the book of John doesn't end with the resurrection. Because often that's really the last thing we talk about, isn't it? Jesus died And then he was resurrected, and then a little bit later he went back to heaven. 
But the book of John was written by someone who wanted to give an account of the life and the work of Jesus, and he chose not to end that at the resurrection. Because after the resurrection, Jesus still has work to do. Yes, of course, that major task of of defeating death and, and saving humanity and allowing us to be in right relationship with God, that was done. He had completed that task. But we see this one more miracle after that. And we see after the miracle, this, this one conversation with Peter um, before the account of, of Jesus' life and work ends. And I think that's really significant because it tells us two things. The first thing is that Jesus continues to work in the world after the resurrection. After his resurrection, he is still working in the world. And that's really good because we live in the world after the resurrection, and we want him to be working in our world, don't we? We want him to be working in our lives and in our community. That's why we pray for all of these things. We pray for the things going on in the world because we want Jesus to be working in those situations. The second thing is that the work that he is doing post-resurrection looks remarkably similar to the work that he did pre-resurrection. At youth last term, we were in the book of John, uh, and I'm sure the young people will remember um, Jesus doing something else with bread and fish, and I mentioned it earlier, uh, 5,000 people, men, 5,000 men plus women and children came to see him in the wilderness, and he used bread and fish to feed them and to meet their needs. Also, before his death and resurrection, Jesus showed his disciples that he had power over nature when he walked on water. And so here he is after the resurrection, feeding people bread and fish to meet their needs and and showing that he has power over nature by causing the fish to swim into the nets. Above all, what he's doing is he's meeting the needs of his people. And so we're reminded that Jesus' work didn't end with the resurrection. It's not done and dusted, off to heaven for a good nap, doesn't have to worry about anything from now on. No, Jesus is alive, Jesus is active, Jesus is still working in the world. Jesus still has work to do. So we can be certain that he's at work in our everyday lives. He reveals himself when we're vulnerable, he meets our needs, and he works miraculously to bring about his will in the world, and all of those things are good. And all of those things are things that we see here in this passage. Um, And if we look closely... Sometimes we have to look back on situations that have already happened, but if we look closely, we can see all of those things in our lives and in the lives of the believers around us. And that's why we share with each other when these things happen so that we can all be encouraged. And so let me encourage you, as you look at the work of Jesus in this passage, uh, as you look at the response of the disciples in wanting to be close to him, um, let me encourage you that Jesus is at work today, that he's at work here and now. We might not always recognize him immediately, but he is working, and I just want to encourage you to continue to draw near to him, and he will continue to draw near to you, and he will continue his work in this world. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you so much um, for the way that you are always working, that you are always acting Um, on our behalf. Lord, we thank you um, 
for the, for the many and varied ways that you have acted in the lives of each of the people here um, and for the encouragement that is not just for them, but for those around them. Lord, we thank you that you meet our needs and that you, uh, you are there when we're hurting and when we're vulnerable. Lord, we know that we're not worthy of those things and we will be forever grateful um, that you do them anyway. Lord, as we go out into our weeks, we ask, uh, we ask for an understanding of your grace and your presence with us as we step into uh, work and school and, and social circles. We ask, um, we ask that we would just be more aware of those ways in which you are working in us, that we would be more aware of the ways that you are meeting our needs. Um, and that those things will be used to encourage us and we can use those things to encourage those around us. We pray your blessing over all of us today. Amen.